the stand and turn to page 442. Page 442. And let's do all verses. Are you able to sing through the shade and the sunshine? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Amen. The righteous doth sing and rejoice. Yes, it is. Uh, Amen. All right. We're in Matthew chapter 21. Brother Jim has read our very short text tonight, just so short, and uh, shouldn't take much time at all to get through this. <laughs> and, uh, look. Amen. You know, there's always been those that have uh, taken advantage of religion for their own advantage, right? And we could probably list a few of them. We could probably name some of them. Some come to my mind, the, the, the big names like the Kenneth Copelands or the Jesse Duplantis. You ever hear of that guy? I saw a video of him the other day, and he's walking around his church, massive church, you know, and he says, I got a big house. I got a $20, $20 million house. Oh, he's telling them, I got a $20 million house, and so can you, you know, right? And uh, boy, I tell you what, I think 
There are those out there that have taken advantage of religion, and I do use that in quotes, religion, for their own advantage. I mean, you can look at those. You can look at the the Joseph Smiths. You can look at the David Koresh's, not all Joseph Smiths, but the Joseph Smith, because there's probably a lot of Joseph Smiths out there with the last name of Smith. Uh, But the one who started the Mormon church, I mean, you can look at all of these people, and they have in one fashion or another taken advantage of, quote, religion for their own Advantage, And there has always been those that have been a hindrance to the gospel without even really, I think, realizing it at times. There are those churches out there, we don't ever want to be like this, that get that philosophy or that, that internal thought process of, of, of uh, us for and no more, right? We're fine with this, us. We, we don't want to expand. We don't want to grow. We don't want to see new people come in. You know, we don't want to mess up what we have. We don't want to mess up what we have paid for. And, and they get that type of a, a mindset and they're actually, they're a hindrance to the gospel. There are churches out there and, and, and of course, uh, this wonderful thing about it being an independent Baptist church, you can do whatever you want, right? Within the confines of the scripture. And, uh, I mean, there's those out there. I, and I know they're in pretty rural areas and they'll, they'll have different types of service schedules and service structures. But sometimes those can be a hindrance uh, to people. I mean, so, some of them will have a Sunday morning, then dinner, and then Sunday afternoon. And then they're out for, from like two o'clock on. And, you know, it's like, well, there goes visitors. Well, there goes somebody else, you know, wandering in on the evening service. And listen, those are fine to do every once in a while. I think it's great. Nothing wrong with that at all. But I'm saying sometimes we've got to be careful that we don't real, that way we don't realize that we're setting up our structure to be inaccessible to those that we're supposed to reach. You know, there's a church, there's a belief out there kind of that says the church is for believers only. And yeah, I understand that. There's a truth to that. I mean, what we are, you know, Paul told Timothy to preach the word, to rebuke, exhort with all long suffering. I was just at a, a preacher's meeting and it was a, and it was a, it was a good it was it was a great time. The guy preaching it was a he was a wonderful guy, a great message, and he made but he made this statement. You know, I, I'm just a I'm a pastor to my whole town, and I'm like, well, really, you're not a pastor to your old town. You're a pastor to your church. But I understand the sentiment that he is he is concerned about everybody in his town coming to the gospel, and we can have this this belief that that boy, uh, it's just it's just about the saved. I hear this. It's a lot in Reformed theology. Well, the church isn't for the lost. It's only for the saved, you know. And but you know what's funny? The Bible sometimes messes up theology, doesn't it? And uh, over in First Corinthians, a couple times Paul mentioned it in two different times, right there in a row. Let me just read it for you. He said, "If therefore the whole church be come together, it's assembled." Wouldn't you? In that novel idea, the whole church be come together into one place, and all speak with tongues. And there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers. Will they not say you're mad? But if all prophesy and there come in one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all. He is judged of all. So, I mean, here we have a really good example here that the church isn't just for the saved. The purpose of the body is to grow and to expand and to reach a lost world with the gospel. You know what happens when you're reaching the world? They're coming in. Lost people are coming into the assembly on Sunday morning and Sunday night and Wednesday nights and and revival times and special meetings and missions conferences. They're coming in and they're hearing the gospel. That's a good thing. But if we're not careful, we'll alienate the very ones that we're commanded to reach. And we don't want to do that. Which leads me really to the title of the message tonight here in Matthew 21. 
And the message is this, it's always been whosoever will. It has always been, I use that word always on purpose, it has always been whosoever will. And as we come to our text tonight, we, we are less than a week away from the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ. Remember last week we saw it, he came into the city of Jerusalem fulfilling prophecy and presenting himself as the Messiah, right? He created the whole, uh, the, the whole scene and the whole entry into Jerusalem like this victorious king coming back from a battle. He rode on that, on that, that, that colt and those went before him strewning out not red carpets or carpets or anything like that, but palm leaves and branches that he walked on. And as he entered into the city of Jerusalem, there was those running behind him and running before him, uh, you know, shouting out, Hosanna, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna, meaning save now, right? The son of David, meaning what? Messiah. Save now our Messiah. And it's like they were proclaiming, proclaiming exactly who he is and what he was doing and why he had come. And we see this in Zechariah 9.9, the prophecy here, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation lowly, and riding upon an ass, and upon the colt, the foal of an ass. Jesus is fulfilling prophecy. Isaiah 62, 11, the word of God says, Behold, the Lord hath proclaimed unto the end of the world, Say ye to the daughter of Zion, Behold, thy salvation cometh. Behold, his reward is with him, and his work is before him. And the Bible says here, as he entered into Jerusalem, that the city was moved. They, they, they heard the commotion. They saw it. The, the people running around uh, and uh, shouting, out, uh, shouting out, Hosanna. And uh, they, they said, remember last week, they're like, well, who is this? Who is this? What is going on? What is going on? They, they, they should have known who it was, right? They should have known. Amen. They should have. They should have been ready for their Messiah. They should have been looking for him for many, many years. But uh, their day really is no different than our day. We are told there are those that are going to rise up and say, well, where is the promise of his coming? And isn't it amazing it's going on now? I can't believe how many people uh, that you can find are switching to post-millennialism that are going away from a, re- from, a, from a catching away of the saints of God, going away from a rapture. Why? Because it's been 2,000 years now. And what are they saying? I mean, it's like, where is the disconnect? The Word of God says they will say, where is the promise of His coming? And it's like they're doing it and then reinventing uh, their, their, their doctrinal beliefs uh, to this post-millennialism that the world is just going to uh, eventually get better and better and better and better until all of the world is saved in a post-millennial reign, and everybody's just going to be fine. Well, what's funny, Jesus said, when I return, will I find faith? Kind of goes against that, it seems like. I know, I'm, it's probably way deeper than that, and I'm not smart enough to understand it. But uh, they should have known. They should have known their Messiah was coming. Jesus said over in Matthew, here in the next chapter over, we'll see it maybe in a few weeks here, Matthew 22, uh, 29, Ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. He said, 
your, your problem is you don't know the Bible. And that's your problem today. And that's my problem today. When the trials arise and things come up that we respond to incorrectly and the cho- choices that we make that are wrong, most often the problem is because ye do err, not knowing the Scriptures, nor the power of God. And see, they, they had this. Listen, Israel had the oracles of God. They, they took down the word of God. They had the miracles of the Old Testament. They had Jesus himself and the miracles of the Lord Jesus Christ. They had prophecies that they could have been acquainted with. They had John the Baptist who said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. I mean, he pointed right at him, right? They had it all. But when Jesus presented himself as the Messiah, when he presented himself as the Messiah, they are stirred by the commotion of what was going on, but they really weren't concerned with who he is. Why? It's always a good question. Why? How did they get here? Why, Why did this happen? Well, maybe, maybe it's because they had a religion, quote, that was fully established. Like, there didn't need to be anything else added to it. We're good. Us four, no more. We're fine. They've crafted their own religion. No, they, they had the Mishnah. They had, the, they, they had their own explanation of the Word of God that went on for volumes upon volumes. They had 613 laws and precepts that they added to the Word of God to live by. Hey, they had crafted their own religion. They had crafted their own way. Yeah. They had the temple, right? They had the temple. Prayers were made. Sacrifices were made. Watch. Teaching took place there. They were able to uh, uh, partake in, 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 in the, in the, in the uh, commandments right, uh, of the law. They were able to do that. They had the temple. They had their religious leaders. They had the Pharisees. They had the Sanhedrin. They had the high priest. They had rabbis all over the country and synagogues all over teaching the Old Testament. Watch this. Israel had a religious system. That included everything God commanded, but it was crafted to fit their own religious framework. They had everything within their system that God had commanded, plus a lot more. (laughs) But they had crafted it to fit their own religious framework. And we do the same thing today. Absolutely we do. You see here, the temple was there. The Passover was being observed. This is why Jesus is here. The Passover is about to be observed. Prayers were going up. The, the, the religious machinery was grinding along just fine. But there's a glaring problem that Jesus is about to expose. There's a real problem here. I want to show you this. Verse 11, the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth of Galilee. Verse 12. Kind of an interesting change of gears here. Not really, but it's kind of interesting. You'll see it all fits just fine. And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all of them that sold 
and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves and said unto them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but ye have made it a den of thieves. You know, this is not the first time that Jesus has cleaned out the temple from what we can tell. It looks like back over in John chapter 2 and verse 15, kind of in the early parts of his ministry, he actually made a whip. (laughs) Jesus meek and mild. (laughs) He made a whip and he went into the temple and he is, I mean, he's running them out. He's getting them out of there. And uh, he ran out the money changers. Obviously nothing changed. He went in and did that and here they are. Right? About three years later, maybe. I don't know the time frame here. But several years later, and here they are, right back at it. Hasn't changed a thing. Didn't make them go back and go, I wonder if this is wrong. I wonder why he did this, right? They thought, well, wow, that guy's crazy. Right? This guy's kind of nuts. But here they are. And Jesus comes into the temple again. At the close of his ministry... Just a week away. It's like bookends. Beginning runs them out. At the end, he runs them out. Oh, goodness, I can't tell you where this is going yet, but I want to. But uh, he, he does it at the beginning and he does it at the end. He threw the people out, the Bible said, who sold and bought. Both were guilty. The sellers and the buyers. The sellers and the buyers. He said, it says he overturned the, the, the tables. The money changers are mentioned. These are the, the, the tax collectors type. These are the, the, the guys that exchange currency. You realize when they came to the Passover that Jerusalem could swell to over a million people. And they would come in from all of these different nations. And they would have different money and different currency like we would today. And there would have be little, you, you go to the, inter, the airports and you have little booths for currency exchange. And they would go there and they would exchange currency. But of course, what these Jews here did was uh, they, they were just making money off of the currency exchange. They were making money uh, off them because they had to pay the temple tax and things like that. And they, and they were making money off of them. The money changers were. The guys that were out there selling doves, right? If you're traveling a long distance and you're bringing up offerings and sacrifices, it might be a little hard to bring, you know, your cages with all your doves and things like that up. And so, of course, you know, I mean, uh, this is just uh, the necessity is the mother of all invention, right? Well, let's make it easy on them, right? Let's make it easy. And we'll, we'll, we'll have all this ready and we'll sell the doves when they get here. And, you know, that's not nothing. That, that's, that doesn't seem too bad. But you know what they did, right? You know, it was exorbitant. Some said it was like 27 times. I read somewhere that the price of what it probably would have normally cost to buy one of those. And so they're making a huge profit, this great convenience tax, and taking advantage of, of, their, uh, of their fellow citizens and brothers and sisters uh, there, and they're taking advantage of them. He threw the tables over. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Jesus was no milk toast. He was no pansy. Right? I mean, he had a righteous indignation that was manifest in front of everybody. And let me tell you this, he was no weakling either. Some historians say those tables uh, most likely could have been made out of stone and would have weighed over 200 pounds. And he comes and... I don't know the last time you flipped 200 pounds over. I did it last week a couple times just to try it out. It was no big deal. But... uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> but man, I'm telling you, I mean, listen, Jesus was not this pathetic looking, uh, Italian looking, long haired, uh, pathetic, pasty looking type of a, uh, uh, effeminate man. He was, he was a carpenter. He was a man. He was able to overturn the tables. He actually could get angry. Right? I, get, I, I get concerned about a man who just can never get, have some righteous indignation about him. That's, uh, that, that's a problem too. And, uh, look at this. He's a carpenter. He's mad. I mean, oh, what is this? Right? He's upset. He quotes Isaiah 56, 7. Listen to Isaiah 56, 7. Even them will I bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices shall be accepted upon mine altar. Here it is. For mine house shall be called an house of prayer for all people. My house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. What are we missing that has Jesus so indignant? What are we missing that has Jesus so angry? There is a slight clue at the end of Isaiah 56, 7 for all people. I think we need to know where these transactions are taking place. They're taking place in the outer court of the temple where prayers were offered in the outer court. And so here it is. Jesus is upset, obviously, of what is going on with, with the, the exorbitant uh, changing of money and and but but he didn't even really say that he just said my house shall be called a house of prayer you've made it a den of thieves right they're, they're robbers and they're yes they're thieves and they're taking uh, exorbitant types of things of money and such as that taking advantage of people but all of this activity taking place in the outer court would make it difficult to pray. It's where prayers were offered in the outer court. It'd make it difficult to pray. It kept people away from the temple, maybe. There's more than just the money changing things going on that was bad. There's something else here about its location that's fascinating to me. He did it at the beginning of his ministry. He's doing it again at the end of his ministry. Do you know who prayed in the outer court? Gentiles. That was the Gentile court. That's where they could come to pray. They couldn't come beyond that. That's where they could come to pray. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is upset, possibly... Most likely because Gentiles aren't able to pray in the outer court? I think it's a big yes. Why? Because it's always been about the whosoever will. 
It's always been. Hey, when Solomon prayed at his dedication at the temple, he, he mentioned emphatically that this is a place whether uh, you know a Jew come or a stranger come to pray at thy house. Right? I mean, it was known that it, that, uh, that 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 God was concerned about the world. You look at Nebuchadnezzar getting saved. You look at Jonah being sent over to Nineveh because God wanted and Nineveh saved, and he was concerned about their condition. You look at Joseph and his impact on Egypt. You look at Daniel and his impact on Darius and, and the Babylonian Empire. Listen, God has always been concerned about the world. He's always been concerned about the whosoever will. And there are three truths about this event in our text tonight. Number one, the activity of the money changers overpowered the real purpose of the temple. I believe Solomon used the word all people and all nations. The activities of the money changers overpowered the real purpose of the temple. Number two, they were more concerned with their religion than they were the spiritual condition of the worshipers. No, they they had built this whole thing. The priests were letting it go. The people who should have known let it go, right? And they were more concerned about what they had constructed than they were when somebody piped up and said, but wait a minute, these Gentiles are having trouble. Over I mean, they're not even coming up anymore because, you know, they can't pray. Well, good. Who wants the dogs here anyway? Yeah. Number three, they were more concerned with making a buck than they were in leaving an open avenue for the whosoever will. Not only was Israel rejecting the reason for which he came as Messiah, here in our text, but they were also rejecting the people for whom he died. Whosoever will. I think we believe that tonight. Amen. Hmm. We ought to be glad about that. Amen. Because <laughs> we're a whosoever. Yeah. Makes me want to sing that hymn. Whosoever surely meaneth me. <laughs> Amen. Let me give you a little application. And I told you we'll be done short. I've got four pages of application. Just kidding. You know, the way we do church should never make it difficult for the whosoever to come in. <coughs> Weird service times. <laughs> no, I know, we have special events. I'm not talking about that. But just things that are created in such a way that almost makes it look like we don't want people here. Do you know, that's one of the things I told the men a long time ago, about five or six Years ago or so, five years ago, I told the men, you, you know, uh, we, we go out on visitation, we want to be accessible to the community, but then we have a property that says we're not accessible to the community. Back in a corner. No, no, it, the city has changed. When it was, I mean, when it was there, there was nothing wrong with where it was. I mean, back then people looked for churches and drove to churches and found churches. And uh, the town wasn't as big as it is now. And But now it just got lost back there. And it looks like, are we... 
even concerned whether anybody knows that we're even here? No, we don't want to do that. An exclusive attitude. I don't really want that kind in here, but we'd rather have, why why can't we just have those kind show up, right? The ones that have it all together. I don't want the ones that don't have it all together. I hate to tell you, but we none of us in here have it all together. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting closer, but not, no. We don't want to ever operate our church with the goal of saving money. No, hold on. We, we, we absolutely want to be stewards of, of God's money. Absolutely. But we don't ever have the attitude that comes up because this was money driven, was it not? What was going on here is money driven. And we don't ever have the attitude of, well, you know, bus ministries are too expensive. Insurance is too much money. VBS costs too much. Having this is just, we just, it's just too much of an expenditure, too much of a, too much of an exposure for what we're doing. That's a, that's a bad attitude. That's a wrong attitude. Who's your God anyway? Hello? <laughs> have you, have you watched what's happened across the street? Have you looked at, there's like, you know what, 50, 20 people, 500 people in here? I don't know how many people can't see on camera. I don't want to tell them. No. Can you see how few is in here? Little as much when God is in it. Can you, I mean, is it amazing what's going on? People go, oh, wow, did you outgrow, outgrow your building so you're moving? Nope. I ran half of them off, I think. But, uh, <laughs> no, listen, he's able. God is able to do abundantly more than you ask or think. Amen. We don't want to ever have. We don't ever want to have the attitude or the or the philosophy that we've got to do ministry the way God wants it with this idea of oh let's not we better not do that because of money, right? Harold Seitler got up at his church one time and he said we're eighty thousand dollars in debt, and he said the only way I know to get out of it is to spend our way out of it, and we're taking on forty new missionaries tonight. Hey, you like that one? Yep. The church is still there doing fine. <laughs> yeah. Let me, let me move on. The way we should do church should never make it hard for the whosoever will to come in. Number two, under application, the way we live our life should never, never cause us to forget the reason we exist. The reason why God has left us. The reason why He has given us a commission. We're not here to make money the first priority of our life. Oh, no, I like it and we need it. Don't get me wrong. But it's not the first priority. Here these people are. They were, their, their priority is money. They were self-absorbed with their personal life. They had no time for the whosoever will that needed to have access to the things of God just like everybody else had. Let me give you one last thing. Everything we do should be on the basis of the whosoever will. How we outreach how we minister, yeah. how we preach, how we teach, 
how we conduct our lives, how we live like, like this morning, how we live our life in front of the public, the putting on and putting off. Yeah. Everything we do, everything we do should be on the basis of whosoever will. Crimson Avenue Baptist Church should never be a ministry of exclusion. Of exclusion. And it does happen. It happens out there. And we just need to be aware that we could get there if we're not careful. So, as we look around and look around at our own own place and where God has placed us, as we watch it, as we look around where God did this, I mean, the growing area, the people that are coming in from all over the country, uh, and out of, out of country even, they're just coming from all over the place. Let's make sure, remember Jerusalem is swelling, swelling with people. That's our own town. They're not swelling for the, for the Passover, but our city is swelling. And uh, we don't ever want to have a hindrance outside of our property, outside of our lives, outside of our church that would make anybody that is, that, listen, that is responding to the light that they have, right? To, they're responding to creation. They're responding uh, to their conscience. They're responding to a tract that's being given. We don't ever want to have anything about us knowingly that when they get close, they go, oh, boy, I can't even get over there because of some way or something or something some way of, of, of how we are uh, operating in this church. We just need to be alert and aware. We need to be led by the Spirit of God and make sure we're walking in the Spirit. And uh, uh, th- that is one thing these people were not doing. We know that. <laughs> they, were, they were not, uh, of course, they didn't have the indwelling Spirit of God right here, but they were not living according to what they had been taught. Yeah. So the whosoever will. Let's make sure tonight that that is the forefront of our concern. The lost that are coming in all over and all around us. That our life in our church is an open door. I like those churches that are named Open Door Baptist Church. There's a great thing. Jesus said, I'm the door. Right? That our life and our ministry is an open door to whosoever will. That when they need the answers, when they need, when they, when they need to, to, to know what their issues are, that they can come right in. And come right in and feel comfortable. I've said it to visitors before. Make yourself at home. It's kind of a silly statement. Make yourself at home. But I mean it. Just, yeah. Make yourself at home. Now stay out of our fridge. I mean, that's off limits. But just kidding. So, may God help us in this tonight. Father, thank you. I'm so thankful that you were concerned with the whosoever will. From the beginning of the ministry of the Lord Jesus to the close of his ministry Lord the how indignant he was with what was done with with true religion and undefiled how defiled it became and Father would you help us here at our this year church here in Nixa Lord that we would keep the primary goal and focus the whosoever will Lord that we would be a a place and a ministry and a, 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 a place of open door of, of acceptance of a readiness, a readiness to invite and to 
minister to and to help and to point to the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you help us to always have that in our a part uh, 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 within this ministry here? We ask you for that. Lord, we thank you tonight. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And we thank you that you loved us. Pray that we would help, we would allow you, Lord, to do that work through us that you desire to do, please. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand with me tonight, if you would. Short time of invitation. A little instrument over there will play. And however the Lord has spoken to you tonight, you respond to him. We're talking about a church setting, but you know, a church is people, amen. They're a membership. Is there anything in your life that says exclusion? Anything in your life that is could be a turning away of the lost world? Maybe we can just do a little exercise tonight and just ask God, if there's anything, Lord, you know, David said, search me, O God, and try me and see if there be any wicked way in me. Maybe just have a simple, simple little uh, prayer tonight and ask the Lord, Lord, would you show me, is there anything in me that would make the lost uh, unable to get close to you? Get close to the answers, to get close. Well, let's be dismissed in a word of prayer tonight. And uh, for the Chris, Chris, would you close us in prayer, please?